Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor, and I've got Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large here, and we're doing this for the very first time as a Facebook Live, which is such a nice luxury since usually we do this on two different coasts, so it wouldn't even be physically possible. So you don't always uh, hear from us when we're sitting this close together, but I think we can still replicate some of the chemistry people may be used to after yeah, several days here in Toronto. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Th- things get heated, but it's, uh, it's a great opportunity right now for us to talk about Toronto Buzz because we're at that point in the festival where a lot of the big titles have screened. There's not a lot of new stuff that's about to happen, so we can really take a look at what's been gathering buzz, what are the hot titles that are heading into the award season, and also what's going on with the marketplace. So when we spoke last week, we were really curious about a couple movies that had already played in Venice. Uh, two of them in particular, one being Jackie and the other being uh, Nocturnal Animals. So we've seen those movies. Um, Things have changed. And I wasn't wrong. They're both very European, very sophisticated art house flowers, both of them. Yes. And they're both getting a lot of great reaction from critics. This is predictable. And then the question is, how is Nocturnal Animals and how is Jackie going to play? Now, one answer we have, Fox Searchlight picked up Jackie. And it's the yep. big buy of the festival, and it played very, very well. And Natalie Portman definitely has a shot. No at great best surprise actress. There. Yeah, Shabby, I mean, and Fox Searchlight already and won her open Oscar. It in December, right. right? So she already won for Black Swan. So you hear all the Oscar types talking, and they're saying, "Well, she already won," so blah blah blah. But it's great. She's gonna have. We're gonna have another new movie in the Oscar race. It happens with great actresses who can actually deliver, and she's so central to the power of this movie. It's really well directed. But I did hear some people who had issues with it being too cold or too cerebral. Even those people thought that Natalie Portman was amazing. She She's so convincing. She's not cold and cerebral. No, I think what happens is that if you have a formalist director like Pablo Lorraine, you know, he is, what's great about Jackie is that you haven't seen a movie like this before. It's, he, he approaches it very, he goes very close up on her face. He's very much part of her experience. We're very, very close on that as, as she's dealing with all the minutiae and all the stuff that went wrong after, uh, you know, all the things she has to deal with, the funeral cortege, the, the crazy people around her after her husband is killed. And she's walking around in a pink suit with blood all over it. I mean, it's it's very visceral. And it's good. also working through a certain kind of reference point that a lot of Americans have. And so I think the life of this movie is going to be fascinating, the way that people talk about that. I, I ran into some Mexican journalists at a party for the other Pablo Lorraine movie that's which here yesterday. Which is the Chilean submission Neruda, to the Oscars. Neruda, which we've been talking about for a while. And, and they were all asking me about... Jackie's voice. It's because it, it, it's such a strange way the way she, that she really sounds. did talk that way, and it was interesting. Pablo Lorraine uh, in the Q and A was was sort of admitting that he was having some trouble with it, 
And, and he finally just had to go with it. That's how she talked. And I think Natalie Portman, that's part of the challenge that she faced. And she pulls it off. And she also, she obviously lost a lot of weight. I mean, she, it's she's clear. a skinny girl. Yeah, but I mean, this is a transformative performance in a lot of ways. So that's an exciting one to look at because it's going to keep playing around and it's going to generate all kinds of conversations. But Nocturnal Animals is a good example of what you were talking about last time, which is a movie shows in one place with one kind of sensibility, and then it comes over here. And I think that people like this movie, but it's it's dividing people. I'm still not sure what to make of it. To I be totally honest, I think that Nocturnal Animals is one of those movies where um, the uh, Tom you can't you can't separate the movie from Tom Ford. Okay, so here who is Tom Ford? He is a version of the character played by Amy Adams. And she admits, I interviewed her yesterday, she's playing Tom Ford. She's a woman, but she's playing Tom Ford. And, and he's draping her and showing her how to lie on pillows. And, and it's all very, very beautiful and stylized. It's sort of what you would expect from a fashion designer. And, and, yet, and yet there's this other movie inside the movie from her. It's a, it's a story that she's reading from her ex-husband, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. And we go back in time to their romance, and then we go back into this movie within a movie, and it's different from her life, and she's dissatisfied with her life, and she's married to superficial Army Hammer, who's only interested in surfaces. And, and the whole thing is very arch. Well, I guess the, the thing that's that's troubling about this movie is that on the one hand you have, I think, a, a fairly well done kind of genre picture embedded in this very sort of excessive melodrama of sorts. Yes. And the, the metaphor that essentially she's reading her husband's kind of psychological process of working through their relationship. And he's very angry at her. It's kind of facile. I, I, was, I, was, I was thrown off by that after about 20 minutes because... I actually like the story of Jake Gyllenhaal trying to take revenge against the people who took his wife and daughter from him, and that story, while definitely a kind of a B-movie, is actually really entertaining, and there's this great Michael because Shannon Because of Michael Shannon. As Michael Shannon is brilliant, and you sorts. get laughs from him. Yeah, he's really enjoyable. So I guess the problem there is that you have two movies kind of colliding, and neither of them benefit as a result. And I think so. that, that Ford recognized that there was a challenge there, but I don't think he pulls it off. And I, I just feel that people who recognize good writing and good filmmaking, you know, the people inside the industry especially, are going to recognize that this doesn't quite work. So I see we have a question. And I don't from, think it'll uh, work with audiences. Well, I, you know, actually, before we go on, that, that's, a, that's a good it point. It may not do well. I, I have heard from uh, exhibitors at the festival, they, they feel that on a local level, this is a great art house film because on the one hand, you have the genre film and you have the stars. On the other hand, you have something kind of highbrow that an older audience may want to put themselves through. So it's, this, is, this is the kind of movie that's full of people you don't like, right? It, and, and, and you don't get engaged by it. I will say I think it's the better Amy Adams performance this season. No. I, I enjoyed her. I felt She's like great in Arrival. Yes. I think Arrival is okay. a real... I think that's the one that she'll be nominated for. Well, people are going to keep arguing about Arrival. I still don't know what to make of it because I, I spoiled it for myself before I experienced, I experienced the movie, so I need to, to see it again and see if it, if it holds up the second time around. But at least in this one, I feel like she is really throwing herself into something we've never seen her do before. Arrival feels a little bit more familiar in terms of the all. kinds of characters What's great done. about Arrival is that she's playing, first of all, she's a movie star carrying a movie, so Jeremy Renner is supporting her. Secondly, she is this scientific, scientist 
brain, who's also intuitive and empathetic, and she's the person who's, who finally has to communicate with these aliens and figures out how to do it, and is it's all on her. A lot of it's on her face. Yeah, and if it weren't for that face. kind of androgynous um, brilliance that she brings to this, it, the, the movie would never work. Well, no, the androgynous brilliance is, is, I mean, visually that's kind of interesting. I just think that the movie itself isn't strong enough to support it. Whereas something like Jackie, that's all her face, but the movie is, is keeping pace with it in a way. Arrival's so. going to be a big hit. It's going to do really well. And I think that Amy Adams is going to be a, a, getting a lot of attention for both of these roles. But it will be Arrival that gets her an Oscar nomination. Well, the other movie that, that traveled to TIFF after Telluride, in addition to Arrival, was La La Land. And that seems to have gotten a that big That played boost. well here. It played, played very really well. well. And, and it's, it's interesting. I, I, I think that, that La La Land has all sorts of... of um, of things that it could have done better or ways that it gets a little bit lost or it finds its way halfway through. You know, I actually really like it, but I don't think it's perfect. No one seems to care. Right. They, they are so delighted by how ingenious and fun and romantic and pretty and confident the movie is, and they're just going with it. I guess one of the things that I'm learning is that if a movie is good enough, even if our tendency is to pick these things apart, it'll be good enough on, on, the, on a bigger scale, and Toronto is that bigger scale. It reminds me of last year with Spotlight, where when we first spoke about it, I said, you know, this is a really sturdy, well-made, well-acted movie. I have some issues with it. Maybe it won't play as big, and then of course it plays. You huge. did not think it was big enough, and people are saying that to me about Manchester by the Sea. By the way, yeah, I haven't been hearing um, about that as much. Well, here. it's it's a little bit old news. It was at Sundance already. It was at Telluride already, but it's actually doing well. And and what one of the reasons La La Land is doing great is in comparison to this long list of movies that make you cry. There are so many tear jerkers here. Lion is a tear jerker. Um, Moonlight is a tearjerker. Manchester by the Sea is a tearjerker. Look, good movies should make you cry, even if they're not designed to... And at the IMDb dinner last night, which I always love, I always look forward to this, uh, Carl Needham, who runs uh, IMDb, this thing that we look up our movies on every single day. Um, I probably don't go to any other site more often every day than I do IMDb. That wasn't a sponsored message, <laughs> by the way. But he always gives every table questions to, to answer. So the first one last night was, what, what is the movie that most makes you cry? What did you say? Yeah, it's funny. Well, I, I think the I spent a long time sort of with this preamble, as I have in the past, saying that I'm not a big crier. I actively resist that. And a movie that is designed to make you cry, I don't even think is necessarily a good movie. And so sometimes that annoys me. Having said all that, I always say The Constant Gardener. Because The Constant Why Gardener... The Constant Gardener has this great moment where Rafe finds realizes his um, starts to understand his wife's activism there's a great line in there where where he realizes why it makes sense to save one kid even if you're not saving the masses and and I thought that was just an incredible moment and somehow it hit me and I guess the thing that that's fascinating about that is that um, like I said, I mean, a, a tearjerker isn't necessarily a great movie. It's just about certain ways of, of putting things into the material that strike you in an immediate kind of way. So I have know. to say that at the dinner last night, a lot of people were talking about the impact that Moonlight had on them. So it's not just me. It's not just uh, it's not just you. It's me too. I love that movie. It just it, it didn't make me 
ball, but I felt the emotion. <laughs> Believe me, that's an incredibly powerful movie that's so well acted, and it is my kind of tearjerker, by the way. A movie that oh, I think Oh, and A Monster Calls it. is the other one that people are responding to right. very well. Well, A Monster Calls is, is a very solid movie. I am questioning now this idea that it's a commercial strategy to put it in this December release date. It's, it is a cancer movie after all. They're but. saying that they need more time to position it properly. I assumed that they were actually going for a much friendlier release period um, that that which is what December is and if they have the good if they have the goods if they have the good stuff by the time they get to December they will make people want to see the film that's the process that's the process so I see we have a question here from somebody who wants to know about birth of a nation and we absolutely have to talk about yeah, that there's a real question going into this festival which was here this movie is going to resurface months after Sundance it was supposed to be its big second moment as, as award season kicks off and yet the whole Nate Parker rape scandal really complicated that, yet the movie did screen with none of that shadow over it. I mean, okay. they didn't do red carpet. The Q&A went well. There was a standing ovation at both screenings. So clearly, what, from reading all the tea leaves that I've been reading here, the the we had several people covering the screenings. We had several people. We had someone covering the, the press conference, and I've been talking to journalists here who covered everything. And what I get from the whole coverage and everything else and it's it's a little disturbing on the one hand you have a movie that's playing well people like it the Toronto audience embraced it Fox is trying really hard to make the message about the movie not about what happened before but when they were confronted with those questions Nate Parker didn't handle it very well. Yeah, so the press conference. And the, the people in the the, the the journalists who were trying to reach they had a moderator, they had it set up in such a way that it was difficult to get a question to him It directly. sounded like there was, a, there was a disconnect between some people who may have thought this was the opportunity to correct the record and other people who thought they could just navigate around it, right? Because That's right. somehow it sounded like but the that first was a 20 mistake. minutes were softball questions and then people started to rebel and say, you That's know, right. some of us have real questions. So they got and angry. They didn't want to talk about that. So I talked to a lot of angry journalists who felt manipulated and held off at bay and, you know, hostage to the distributor's desire to sell the movie. Right. When you look at the presidential election, people say, oh, the media doesn't, you know, it's too, too easy on Trump or too hard on Clinton or something like that. But here in our little ecosystem, journalists seem to really want to deal with this in an upfront, responsible way. They wanted more transparency and, and Parker it. was dodging them. Yeah. And he still doesn't seem to be willing to go all the way. He did very well in this one story in Essence Magazine to in the right direction. That is the right direction. But in terms of copping to some guilt, but he's not doing it here. So the question is, given the fact that the movie still played really well, no audience member heckled him during the Q&A or something like no, that? No, this, this is a question of what's, what's, what's inside one ecosphere, the media and the industry and Hollywood and, and the outside world, which might want to see the movie. And there's a two, those are two very different things. Searchlight is heading for the other. They've given up, I think, on the former. So there's no awards campaign I don't think now. so. They got their Jackie. But Jackie is not a slam dunk in the way Birth of a Nation could it's have been. It's the best actress nomination. It's the best actress nomination. Whereas Moonlight maybe got more, more of a bump from Toronto. What we see so. is a diverse range of movies that could go into 
play uh, with the, you have Loving, the biracial couple, you have Fences, the Denzel Washington with Viola Davis, and then you have uh, maybe Marshall, Chadwick Boseman, possible if they decide to open it this year. So there's lots of, there's nobody's a, really concerned a, right now. There's Moonlight so coming white. in there. I think with, no. with Birth, there was, I and mean, there's it, Lion. With right. Patel. Yeah, we should talk about that. I mean, bottom line, Birth of a Nation was the first potential Oscar movie as Oscar and so it White grabbed was going that, that one became spot. the master narrative. But we now can move there's on. A whole and you know what? I'll be totally frank here. I don't think it's a great movie, so we'll survive. This movie did not need to be the cure-all. It's much better in some ways that we have a more complex set of options. It was unfortunate that it was put in that role, it's frankly, true. with it's a true. young filmmaker that no one knew. So now that they're getting to know Nate Parker, unfortunately, they're getting to know him in a very, un you know, sad way. Yeah, so, it, so it'll be an interesting kind of challenge. So Lion, that was another one that uh, we didn't know too much going into this. There was, there was well, some buzz Weinstein around Weinstein had picked it as their Oscar. Now, you, we all know that Weinstein has various complications financial issues or whatever they're dealing with and so for them to put their money i mean i've actually heard people say well they may not have enough money to release this movie that's absurd they're putting their money on this one movie they're pushing everything else aside and and releasing the founder with michael keaton at the end of the year limited going out in january this is the one they're betting on and i can see why it's got the goods yeah, no, it, it's, it's a good, true story that's solid, very moving. But what's what I, what I uh, to be honest with you, what I enjoyed about this movie, which speaking of tearjerkers, this one really goes for it. You know, kid in India gets separated from his parents for twenty five years. I and totally finds lost it. You know, I, I, I'm an easy. Cry. I didn't quite get there, but I will say that this movie works for somebody like me who who really wants a, a strong cinematic experience, and that the first hour or so, which is set in the mid '80s when this kid gets separated from his family. It's, it's almost like a silent film. I mean, it's just this really intense, it's, it's like Homeric Odyssey. Beautifully done. Where he's just, he's, he gets stuck on a train and then he winds up in different places and he bounces around, he almost gets kidnapped. It's a great survival story and then it gets a little more conventional, which isn't a knock per se, it's just not quite as exciting. What's wrong way. with the second half is that you end up with a role for Nicole Kidman, his mother, yeah. the Australian adopted And a half mother, role for uh, And a role Rooney for Mara. poor Rooney Mara as his thankless girlfriend. Yeah, she's cool. We Rooney. like Rooney Mara. She's a, she makes that role as cool as it could possibly be. Yeah, but the be, cast is, is but sort that's of like, what it is. those are bargaining chips for financing. Exactly. And, and, and that's, that's unfortunate. Exactly right. Strongly. And they each, they each have to do more with their thin roles than they maybe should. It's really Dev Patel's movie. So another question that we had here, just to get away from the Oscar conversation, I think it's one that, that is really worth bringing up, which is, is Toronto actually harmful in some ways to the smaller films, to the foreign films? It's a huge festival, but these are the movies that we end up foregrounding and talking about. They're the ones that generate buzz. For obvious reasons, it's plugged into that ecosystem in a way where this is the start of Oscar season and all those different kinds of things. Stars generate a lot of attention, but there are lots of different kinds of movies here. You know, I, I love a lot of festival. Them, so. I would argue that there's too many films here. I feel frustrated because my editors at IndieWire demand 
that I do interviews and write stories every day. And we're so, so thrilled that you I, do. Therefore, don't necessarily, and they also demand that I use this Oscar hook, which is supposedly uh, going to get people to read these articles. I, I, I would rather be in the Scotiabank screening room banking all these movies so that I can write about them later. Well, what you end up having to do is also figure out how can we talk about Oscar movies in a way where we're still foregrounding quality and not just industry concerns. But I do think it's worth pointing out that there are industry people here who are not just a part of that conversation. I run into somebody every day here who wants to know, what are you seeing? Have you seen this available movie, that available movie? Well, let's talk about some of the smaller films. So Did you have you something see like Tramps? Tramps, Adam Leon's film, which I think is a very charming I romantic his first comedy. One. Um, this is very similar, in fact, to Gimme the Loot, but better in the sense that production values are higher. It's, it's a kind of a uh, scrappy tale of these two New York Street characters and a briefcase get, that gets stolen, a kind of MacGuffin situation, and then they fall for each other. It's, it's very charming. I've heard that there is some interest in it, maybe not somebody huge, but somebody who might want to get in the business with this filmmaker as his career continues to develop momentum. Did you see um, Una? Una, which uh, started off in Telluride, is, is a much better showcase for uh, Rimera than... Uh, then uh, Lion and a uh, very intense movie, which I'm sure will find a home soon enough. You have something really inventive, like my entire high school sinking into the sea, this hand-drawn animated film from a graphic novelist named Dash Shaw, which a lot of buyers told me they don't know quite who the audience is for this movie, but it's super fun. It's kind of like if you've seen those Adult Swim animated cartoons, it's kind of like that but it's got some kind of underlying warmth to it. It's, I, th I think, much more appealing. So typically I went to see the movie that I had been titillated by at CinemaCon in Las Vegas because they showed the first 10 minutes or so of Sing, which is the latest animated movie coming from Illumination. And that, I have to say, is great fun. <laughs> There's you a movie think La La Land is fun? See Sing. Because it's, it's actually got this extraordinary range of characters and songs and it's a song contest. If all the movies we were just talking about are on one planet, that's like a totally different solar system. Still in Toronto <laughs> and very much in the Oscar race. For, for Fortunately, the, the audiences for that movie and the audiences for the other movies that we're talking about here don't have to compete for each other because they're on such different scales. But I do think there is something to be said for the value of a festival that is able to represent for that full spectrum of possibilities. Sure. Now, I did a piece like, out of uh, Telluride about this. Movies aren't necessarily dying, they're just getting smaller, but there, there is still you that. You mean piece. on the independent yeah, side? Yeah, there, there are these big movies and they'll command attention and you should showcase them when they need to be showcased for different kinds of reasons, whether it's because they deserve the attention or because different people have career reasons to, to do that. But the festival is accommodating they have junkets. So they fly the Hollywood Foreign Press out here. They, you know what the Fox Searchlight people did? There was a huge uh, black press presence for Birth of a Nation. That's, they were selling to them. Right, so that, that infrastructure is there, and then for the films that actually need to get noticed, there, there, there are ways for them to get noticed. I'd love for more people to see The Ornithologist from Joao Pedro Rodriguez, a Portuguese filmmaker. Uh, I saw that film back in Locarno, and uh, where it won Best Director, and now it's here, and it still doesn't have distribution, but it's a really wacky, surreal story about this guy who goes into the jungle and gets lost and has a transformative experience. But those kinds of movies are here. I don't think they're hidden because if you look at Twitter, journalists and industry people are seeing them and tracking them. And so there, there is a life for these movies. It's just you have to change your expectations and not assume that everything is sort of 
you know, this on the same playing field. You know, no, it's no, a much no. more complex I went to see um, Eleanor Coppola's Paris Can Wait. This is the wife of Francis Coppola. Right. And she uh, has, has done a documentary before, which a lot of people know about, about the shooting of Apocalypse Now. But this is a narrative film starring Diane Lane and, it is, and a Frenchman. And it's a kind of um, enchanted April escapist. Let's drive through Provence. Let's visit Lille. Let's let's have fabulous meals. My mouth was watering. So I'm not uh, going to make any claims for this. As I, I feel know, like I've already seen it from that sentence. No, no, <laughs> it was it was a food movie, an amazing and a romance. And not I as think funny as the trip. I assume it's in, it's very similar. Is it? It's really it's not funny. Very it's more funny. of a romance. The trip without jokes. Eh, uh, not the best. Though. <laughs> now, this is for women. This is going to play at the Lincoln Center Cinemas. Someone will buy this. So, uh, the best contrast that I can come up with at this festival in terms of these different kinds of movies is that in a few minutes now, I'm going to rush off to see the film that actually won Venice, which was not Tom Ford's Nocturnal Animals or Jackie, both of which won prizes, as did Anna Lily Amirport's very entertaining kind of quasi-genre movie, The Bad Batch. Uh, it is the new film from Lav Diaz, uh, a filmmaker notorious for making very long movies. Uh, he has made movies that are twice as long as the one that I'm about to see, which is about four hours. Um, after that, I will dash off to go see Deepwater Horizon, Peter Berg's movie with Mark Wahlberg. Slumming, so. <laughs> are we? Well, the other movie that we pl that we both watched here, I saw the long, full-length Terrence Malick Voyage of Time. You saw the shorter IMAX I saw version. Both. I saw both. In fact, I, I saw That's them the one you prefer. very close together. Yeah. Neither one of them is what you would call a completely realized work, especially not the narrative. They're non-narrative. With, oh, with voiceover, which you, is what he does. Okay, so the 90-minute so the Voyage of Time, you take out that really annoying Kate Blanchett voiceover which reads Mother, like Mother where are we? Yeah. Where are we going? Ended the temp track. Do you love me? <laughs> it reads like mag like poetry magnets on a fridge or something. <laughs> but if you took that out, you could play it in an avant-garde side by some film festival and it would be fine. The, the the IMAX version is more of a traditional nature documentary but with some of the most amazing nature y images you've ever seen because Malik's really pulls out everything. Well, they're in the other one. It's just that they're not as big and it's they're not more as cohesive. IMAX. He takes I, out I the loved, contemporary stuff. I really loved a lot of the footage. Yeah, and, and if there's you a know lot there. anything about how they did the visual effects, they're amazing. They're, 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 they're the most accurate, the most realized versions of what scientists know in very crude graphic form. They just took the money and ran with it. So somebody wants to know what was our big disappointment. I don't know if I have one, really. I mean, American Pastoral. I didn't even bother. I mean, my, my instinct is I tend to avoid a lot of things that I think may disappoint me, and I follow the buzz almost too closely in that sense. There are movies that I wasn't blown away with, but I don't want to single them out as disappointments because I think they still had a lot of things going on. Maybe I'm too much of a softie, but again, I don't cry at movies, so... You know, there's a middle ground there. And I enjoyed, you know, Magnificent Seven and Snowden as strong commercial releases. I mean, oh. I think they're both very good, strong, entertaining movies. I was underwhelmed by Snowden, but it was exactly what I expected it to be. So, I guess now, what's left for us? We get out of Toronto, and it's like, 
this is real life for a little bit. We get to, to live a little bit and just see things on our own time. And then we'll coast in New, New York. York. We got we'll a few more out of New York. Um, and then we'll figure out if Billy Lynn's halftime right? walk is any good. If Lost City of Z is any good, which is actually opening next year. 20th Century Women. Mike Mills, 20th Century Women. Uh, Ava DuVernay. Ava DuVernay's documentary. But we're, we're almost there. We're getting there. So hopefully we'll get a chance to do another one of these. And, and we hope people have enjoyed uh, this uh, multi-layered uh, technological experience with Facebook Live. And uh, if you're listening to Screen Talk as a recorded version, then uh, hopefully nothing was lost in, in that respect. And uh, we'll, we'll find you on the next one there's going to be much more to come in the in, in the next few weeks so and I'm, I'm wishing you a safe travel back to uh, la and, and i'm back to new york see y'all later anatomy of an ad subconsciously trigger emotions through music perfect define an opportunity imagine talking to millions of people across the u.s like i am now identify a problem creating an audio ad is time consuming Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.